Exclusive Books is delighted to present another homebrew podcast series, a celebration of South African writers and their books. Now 25 years old, Exclusive Books Homebrew 2022 is not the same old story, but a mirror and a window into South Africa, where we are, where we've been, and where we can go. A remarkable selection of history, fiction, memoirs, current affairs, and children's books on our most pressing and relevant topics, from identity to feminism, corruption to corporates, self-love and identity, and everything in between. Incisiveness, humor, self-reflection, and hope abound. Check out the full selection in all exclusive bookstores and online. Today's episode of Homebrew is presented by author, journalist, and fearsome cruciverbalist, Jonathan Anser. When the cell door slammed shut behind the last member of the Electus Perdeus gang, Captain Ben Boyson knew he had done his job, and that was to give the families of the cult's 11 victims justice. Captain Boyson's meticulous police work achieved 39 life sentences, and now Captain Boyson has achieved even more sentences. This time, though, the sentences are in his book, On the Devil's Trail. The book takes readers behind the scenes of a bloody murder spree that kept the nation on edge for almost a decade. But the book isn't only about the Krugersdorp killers. It also tells the story of a remarkable and dedicated police officer, the Devilsdorp detective, also known as S.A.'s Chuck Norris, also known as Captain Blixum, a man with long hair and a short fuse, a man who laughs in the face of danger but has a morbid fear of mice, Welcome to the Homebrew Podcast series, Captain Boyson. Can you please read us an extract from your book on the Devil's Trail? <laughs> okay, it's not a problem. I arrived at Cruiser Police Station the following morning. I brought Christelle with me and we seated ourselves at the table in the detective's boardroom. I ready to take Cecilia and Marinda's warning statements. A legal process whereby you allow a suspect to give your side of the story and inform them of their rights. Whenever I question the woman suspect on the weekend, outside normal office hours where there is usually a police woman available, I always took my wife with me. Also on the day, Lieutenant Colonel Werner Verstaden, who had been a member of Brigadier Mani Victor's appointment murders team, was on hand to bring them up from the cells. First, she brought Cecilia. Cecilia hobbled in the extremely large, heavy-looking oxygen tank she appeared to stumble along, acting out of breath and disabled as she made her way to the chair at the boardroom table. When she sat down, she placed the oxygen cylinder on the floor next to her. And so my first impression was that she must be very ill. The thinning air made her look like a cancer patient. I wondered what the hell was wrong with this woman and why the dead Zach Valentine has left all the money to her. Cecilia was extremely friendly and didn't behave at all like she has been arrested. She acted as though she was visiting friends for tea. After standing up to greet her, I sat down and said, I'm Captain Boyce and I'm going to take your warning statement. I'm here to hear your explanation of the charges about Zach Valentine and how you came to be named as the beneficiary of all his money. Then she started wheezing loudly. 
It appeared as if she was battling to breathe. Christelle quickly asked Verna, put on the oxygen, give her some oxygen. Verna then put on the oxygen mask and Verna opened the cylinder tap and immediately Cecilia began breathing easier. With her hand over the mask, clutching at it like a person safe from the brink of suffocation. But soon Christelle started kicking me under the table. With her eyes, she directed me to look at the oxygen bottle on the floor. I noticed that the pipe attached to the mask was not connected to the oxygen cylinder. I said nothing. I just friend sympathetically and asked her, Are you better now? Are you breathing better? To which she replied, still clutching the mask to her face. Yeah, no much better, thank you. I am breathing much better, much better, much better now. Bernard then got up and walked out. I continued completing the warning statement asking, have you been assaulted? Are you having medical treatment? The crimes in photos I had been shown of a naked Michaela appeared to show that she had semen between her legs. I don't know why I mentioned it, but I decided to ask Cecilia. Do you know that Zach had sex with his wife on the day that she was killed? Cecilia literally flipped. She became a completely different person from the friendly woman who had walked into the detective courtroom a few minutes earlier. She got this vicious look in her eyes and spat. No, he will never sleep with his wife. Christelle then asked her, but why wouldn't he sleep with your wife? Was there a problem? Cecilia was furious. Before she could answer the question, Verna came into the room and Cecilia flipped back to normal. That's the only time that I saw a flash of the real Cecilia. The anger in her eyes, the hatred. How dare I say that Zach had slept with his wife on the day of Michaela's murder. What happened is so bizarre. The group petrol-pumped cars, faked one of their own deaths, murdered 11 people. In between, there were demons, werewolves, witches, spells, and the kingpin Cecilia Stain spewing blood. Then a reporter covering the case falls in love and has a relationship with one of the killers. Is there a Hollywood flick on the cards? And which actor should play you? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's a Hollywood movie on the cards. I think this is even too bizarre for Hollywood to make a movie about it because uh, it's so close to fiction that you actually can't believe it. Uh, you know, I don't care who, who played me. They they will probably use, you know, in the old days there was uh, this actor, Charles Bronson, who was weird looking and, and devilish and, you know, he was a... He didn't take problems from people and sorted them out. But there's a series on TV, a cop series, um, Chicago PD. I think the main actor that's that's playing the role there of, of the cop, uh, the detective sergeant, <laughs> I think they can get him to play me. He's about having my attitude. Ben, this crime has spawned a docu-series which outperformed the Game of Thrones. There was a podcast and now this is the second book that's come out about it. Why do you think it has gripped the nation's imagination? I think it's because um, it is real life. You know, people like movies and it's nice to look at, but in your mind, you know, it's not real life. But because this is real life and it is so gruesome that your normal person's mind cannot process that one human being is capable 
of killing other human beings in the way that these people were killing their victims. So because of that, it's real life. It's gripping people, attention and imagination more than movies. And you know, this is people that if you go to the shopping center that is standing in front of you in a queue to buy groceries, the same place that you are buying groceries, it's normal people. So that is also mind-blowing that normal people can act in the manner that they were acting. What was your motivation for writing this book? After Jana's book and after the documentary, a lot of people stopped me in the streets and at shopping centers and everywhere and asked questions that they didn't know the answers of. And I think without getting into the gruesome stuff, I gave a lot of people answers on questions that they had after that. I was never, in my own mind, uh, decided to go and write a book. Um, Mel, a publisher, phoned me and she wanted to write my story. And um, yeah, and my wife and all of the people then convinced me to write my side of the story also with a little bit of my growing up in the book. What did you feel when the trial finally came to an end in 2019? and Judge Francis convicted the final three suspects, Zach, Cecilia, and Marcel. I was relieved at the end of the day that justice was served. I was glad that I could give the families closure and that they can now close the book on the family members that was killed. But, you know, also it was an anticlimax um because it was the end of my career, it was one of my last biggest cases that I investigated. I had another one after that, but I couldn't finish it because I went on pension before the forensic and ballistic and all that kind of stuff was received from the special units because of COVID. So it was a big relief to see that there was a judge that is his work in a proper way. I've got the utmost respect for this judge. And also after the case is finished, know then the family can start with the healing process because justice was served. The public has acknowledged your skills that brought the murderers to book. Does this make up for not receiving the recognition you deserved from the police management? I never worked in my police career to get any recognition from the police itself. I, the police pay me a salary to do my work and I'm doing my work to the best of my knowledge and I'm doing my work to see justice getting served and to give the victims' families closure. But, you know, it's just difficult sometimes when you do a big thing like this and your commanders in the police doesn't... Uh, it's not that I wanted money or stuff like that, you know, but any commander can just pick up a phone or phone my commander and say, listen, tell the captain you did good work and stuff like that. I think every person in life needs a little bit of acknowledgement from where you're working and what you are doing. You can see that you are being appreciated in your career. But at that stage, you know, people that really gave me recognition was most of them were out of the police already, like um, General Bushy Engelbrecht and General Boyce. And, but my commanders at that stage, when I was still in the Hawks, they never picked up a phone or send, just sent me a letter or an email to say, Captain, thank you, you did a great job. So yeah, that was a little bit negative. The media attention has put you in the public eye. What's it like being a celebrity? That is a little bit overwhelming. You know, you work with public every day in your career. 
and most of the time people will come up to you and say good job when you get the suspects to get jail sentences and stuff like that. But when normal public walk up to you in the street and greet you and want to take photos with you and want your signature and stuff like that, you know, um, I'm not a celebrity. I was just a cop that my work to the best of my knowledge. So it's overwhelming. At the center of this murderous web is Cecilia Stain. During your investigation, were you able to work out how she was able to manipulate others into doing her bidding? No, not not really, um, Jonathan. I just think she's got the power in herself to convince people to do stuff at the end of the day that no normal person will actually do. I think she's very manipulative and convincing. You know, at this stage... People phone me that's got families and, and stuff in, in prison <laughs> and they tell me that Cecilia is actually now the local shrink in the prison. If there's ladies coming in with problems, they send the ladies to her for her to sort the ladies' personal problems. But that just show you how manipulative and convincing she is that even at this stage, the guards at the prison and the people who are working there in the wards where she is, that she convinced them that she's got this degree to assist people that's got problems in their life. When I met her, she doesn't put out to you that she's a manipulative person. But I think when she's got you in a web, like she had Marinda and the children and the other people around her, and also I think she showed them stuff that was needed for her to try to convince her to do things that she asked, you know. They was not allowed to look at normal films and stuff. It was only murders and serial killers and stuff like that. And she was conditioning them with that, especially with the Bible, um, saying God said that you must do this because the people is doing that. So she didn't use Satanism per se for them to kill people, but she used Satanism as, uh, you know, like the kids that was apparently overseas, uh, that was kids of Satanists or an orphanage. And if she doesn't pay the orphanage a certain amount of money, those children are going to be killed. So she convinced them in a godly manner out of the Bible that they need to get money to pay to her so that she can pay for those children to get a, a better life. So, yeah, it's a very strange thing. But the most of the things that she used against them was emotional blackmail. She's a scary person. What do you hope your book achieves? You know what? When, when people will read my book and they see the way that you've been brought up, the conditions in your life and it's difficult, everything is difficult. And then you leave school and you started a career in whatever that you still can achieve big milestones in your life. And it's also for policemen that goes to the police that they can see that you need to do basic investigation in the police and think out of the box because everything is not black and white. You know, you are trained to do something in a certain way. But in real life, that training assists you, but it never works in real life how it's working on paper. And I also want to send a message out to the public 
that there is very good policemen in the South African police service. Not all of the policemen in the South African police service are corrupt and not doing their work. There is a lot of policemen still today in the police that are dedicated and that are capable to do their work to the best of their knowledge and to send people to prison every day. The few bad apples in the police, that's how our life is, you know. It's everywhere in life, there's bad apples. Because policemen is in the eye every day of the public, it looks worse than it actually is. So the public must just start believing that there is still police. And if you go to the police with a good attitude, that the police will still assist you in a manner that they are supposed to assist you. I'm that kind of person. I don't care about good or bad attitude from the public. I do my work to the best of my knowledge. I want justice for my victims. I don't care about their families, how their families treat me. But I think in today's society where everything is negative, especially with young policemen, that the public need to trust and to support the young policemen to do their work good. And so they also can see that, you know, the public is also on my side. Not all the public is hating me. Do you think any of the Krugersdorp killers will read the book And if so, what would you like them to take from it? I don't think they will read the book. Maybe Miranda or Cecilia um, will read the book. Cecilia will get very cross and also Miranda. But, you know, it's a difficult thing for me because the kids grew up in a society around them that was all time negative. You know, Zach, you will not care if I write the book or if I don't write the book or anybody will write the book. Um, John Barnard was actually in the wrong place in his life being with them because he, he was a, a draggy. You know, the biggest thing yeah, for me is the people that is currently in jail is not really suffering. They're suffering because they're in jail and they don't have freedom. But the real people suffering, yeah, for those people that is in jail, is their families. Zach's parents, um, Miranda's family, Cecilia's children, Cecilia's parents. Those people are currently the people suffering why these people are in jail. And you know what? They get bad treatment wherever they go. And people looked at them in other ways than they look at other children's parents. Why did you brought the child up like this in your life? But it's not the way that they brought the child up. I think they did the best to their knowledge and ability to brought their children up. It's when they become adults that they use the wrong decisions in life and go the wrong ways in life. I feel for their families. For them, they did what they did and they need to be in jail. And I don't care if they read my book or don't read my book and what they think about it. That's not my concern. Um, my concern is if one of their parents buy my book or Jana's book and read it, I think it must be heartbreaking for them to read what their children actually did. And another thing that I forgot to say is um, when Marina was found guilty and I took her fingerprints in the cells at the court, she thanked me for making her a serial killer and um, putting her on the map. That's the kind of person she became. I don't think she was that kind of person when she was younger and other people that know her, they will also agree with me that I don't think she was that kind of person. But, you know... To be sentenced to jail for 13 life sentences and you you go up to the investigating officer and say, hey, thank you, you made me a serial killer and you, you put me on the map. Yeah, something is really, really wrong in your mind. You had a particularly rough and violent childhood. Looking back 40 years, 
What would you tell that young man who dropped out of school with a standard eight and who seemed so lost? Yeah, you know, life is not determined by the way you grew up and you experience as a child. Life is determined by the choices you make when you became an adult and after that, and the choices that you make in life going forward. That's the way it is. You know, there's children that grew up in much worse ways that I grew up and they also became the best in what they is in life. And then there's children that grew up with a golden spoon and eventually they turn out as bad adults. So yeah, it's what you make of life. Um, there is always hope if you decide to choose the good and not the bad. Thank you, Ben. There have been many wild, crazy, and unbelievable crimes in South Africa. The Krugersdorp killings is possibly the wildest, craziest, and most unbelievable of them all. On the Devil's Trail is an absolute must-read for all true crime lovers. Salute Captain Blixen, a phenomenal, old-fashioned, gritty cop who is not afraid of anything except mice. This exclusive books homebrew podcast was spread far and wide with the help of Vodapay. Vodapay is a super app that is available on all mobile networks. On the app, anyone from any network can send and receive money, pay bills and shop the amazing deals all in one place. It really is one app for anything and everything. If you like it, Vodapay it. <laughs>